Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin, so kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. The NFL playoffs are underway, plus the NBA, the NHL, combat sports, and more are in full swing. Bet Online has you covered with all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. Are you looking for a higher potential return on your savings? Turn to our sponsor, SAVE. As an SEC-registered investment advisor, SAVE safely combines the best parts of saving and investing with its Market Savings Program. Market Savings is a savings product that provides you with market returns instead of interest. The returns come from diversified investment portfolios based on your individual investment profile. The return from the investments is paid to you at the end of the selected investment term. But investing comes with risk, right? Well, with SAVE, your deposit is FDIC insured and never used for any investments. The current variable APYs are 9.07% for the one-year product and 7.9% for the five-year product. So what does this cost you? Well, SAVE only charges a fee when your investments make you money. To learn more or to sign up, visit www.joinsave.com state. That's joinsave.com slash state. The link to the website is in the description of this podcast. State of State invites you to join Save. Hi, everyone, and welcome to State of State. I'm Tom Hannafin. He's Justin King. We are joined by statecollege.com's Mike Porman to give us some insight on everything happening right now with the Penn State football team. Mike, you're on the ground in State College right now. What are you hearing? How are things? And are you freezing your butt off at this point in time? You know, it changed to sleet and now rain. But remarkably, and I love this, um, I also teach at Penn State. The classroom is almost full today. It's like for a nine o'clock class, major props to the students for coming out. I think they're they're tired of the snow. They they want to go someplace other than the den and champs. So they shut up for class today. <laughs> It's really noble of them when you think about it at the end of the day. They must like you a lot. Well, you know, and I got to say this, you know, and you guys know this. James Franklin begins every press situation saying thanks for coming out. And it's kind of funny, but I get it. There is some gratitude. And I know he's sincere in that. There is some gratitude for showing up for class, showing up for pressers, showing up on the road. Um, a big part of life is showing up. So um, I try to take my lessons from James sometimes when I can. 
Well, we appreciate you showing up on State of State. We appreciate that very much. Uh, for those of you interested in Mike Porman's phenomenal writing, as he's done for decades now, uh, he's a new article up on statecollege.com titled The Line on Who Will Be Penn State Football's Culture Drivers in 2024. The link to that is available in the description of this podcast. We're going to get to the meat of that article here in a little bit. But Mike and Justin, I want to start off with you first, Mike, in terms of some developing stories altogether within the Big Ten. And Justin and I have discussed it a little bit is the dominoes that could potentially fall in regard to the future of the Big Ten, specifically in 2024. I'd like to start with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Uh, there's word out there that the second interview with the Chargers will leave him, quote, in striking distance with going to Los Angeles to become the new head coach of the L.A. Chargers. It sounds like just such a simple question to be like, man, how much different will Michigan be in the conference be without Jim Harbaugh? But it feels like a very complicated question now following what they just did in winning a national title. What do you think, Mike, if Harbaugh does go to the Chargers? Complicated is right. You know, Sharon Moore, Moore did a great job for six games. Talk about uh, really having uh, an extended job interview. But it is every day when you're looking at DeBoer leaving and, and Oregon collecting quarterbacks left and right and Bill O'Brien ending up at Ohio State. I mean, it's, you know, you're looking five, six teams deep from the top. And if Chip Kelly uh, uh, ever rebounds from losing Danton Lynn, you know, they could they could be there uh, as well. I guess the point is that you're trying to make, there is no offseason. The hot stove league in the Big Ten is incredible. And I got to tell you, I love it because people – the interest year round now is as intense as it is during the season. Justin, in your opinion, JJ McCarthy's off to the NFL. That's a big part of Michigan, at least offensively in their identity. And then if you lose Harbaugh, that is a gigantic blow. If it is Sharon Moore, that feels like a, a natural progression there to head coach. But does Michigan fall off if Harbaugh leaves? I don't necessarily think so. I think there's a level of coaching that he brings to the table, culture builder that you, it's hard to replace, right? He's the quintessential Michigan man. But with that being said, the way that they've acquired talent has been true to form to Michigan. I think they've gotten a lot of players that want to be at Michigan. And as long as the culture stays within how it is, I don't think you'll see like a mass exodus like you've seen from other programs like Alabama or any other school that has a head coach move along, especially when you hire from within. We've seen it before when Chip Kelly, I mean, left. They're kind of a similar structure to Notre Dame when, when not Chip Kelly, but I'm sorry, but um, Brian Kelly went down to LSU and they replaced it with um, Marcus Freeman, who was in the building, culture driver, and nothing really changed. Actually, he was able to retain some coaches that didn't want to go to LSU and all those different things. And I think Michigan has been built from a talent acquisition standpoint the same way like i said i think the the leadership of jim harbaugh um, of, is is hard to replace but i mean i think they have some nice building blocks from a foundational standpoint to continue to truck along mike overall within the big 10 like we have talked about it it's really hard to predict going into this season you know what the top five six teams are really going to look like Penn State feels like they're trending in a positive direction but it's such a season that 
Justin and I have talked about. I'm like, last year there was the expectation, oh, they could make the playoff and maybe make the national championship game. Personally, I'm not hearing any of that conversation now going into this season. I, I don't want to hear it. I want to hear prove it. Like That's what I'm thinking about going into this year. As someone who's boots on the ground, you're around the program, what's the feeling? Because the hype felt really, really intense last offseason. It was intense, and I think it permeated the campus, probably impacted the guys some. They're, the expectations are not there for this team, not only national media. And I think if there's a silver lining of the old Miss loss, I think it's that. The expectations you know, James always says the expectations are the expectations, but I think they are less now. And and if you look at it analytically, like even USC, they're hiring every possible defensive coach in the country to come in and bolster that side of the line. I, I think Penn State is under the wire to the point where a lot of talk is on West Virginia in the season opener. Like when was the last time? It had to be early 90s, right? With um, – who was the who was their great quarterback in the early nineties? Not Oliver Luck, um, the, the, the running guy. But the the people were saying West Virginia has a shot against Penn State. I think I guess that's my oh, Pat Smith at West Virginia. At, Pat, Pat at West White. Virginia. I mean Pat White. That was Pat White. Oh, Pat, yeah. White. Yes. Pat White. Yes. Um, those those yeah. five teams. Yeah. I, I oh, think the expectations okay. are 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 much lower on on campus and. Originally, I thought this was going to be a two-year window for Penn State, 23-24. But then even with USC and UCLA coming in, but once you threw in Oregon and Washington State, I think all of that went out the window. And, you know, I think it'll let Penn State do more of its own business behind the scenes without the pressure that was certainly there last year. Mike, what's the feeling around quarterback Drew Aller? Because from the outside looking in, it feels like the shine is off a little bit. The expectations, like for the entire team, were so high going into 2023. You mean on campus? Yeah. Overall, what you I hear from the like team? Overall, I mean, I, I would say even on campus, people love, love Bo. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I was doing a little homework the other night. You know, Bo didn't play a snap against Ohio State or Michigan. Um, <laughs> that's kind of telling, right? I mean, however you may think about the two of them, Drew has that experience under fire. You know, I would ask Justin this. is Drew is not seen as a celebrity on campus the way many quarterbacks have been through the years or certainly been as front-facing. Um, he's really kind of a shy guy, and you listen to guys on the team. He's humble, and you don't really see him on campus the way other people through the years, you know, all the way years back when my first class was with Jeff Hostetler. You know, you don't – Drew is under the, under the radar here at Penn State. I would actually agree from that standpoint. I mean, I think, like you said, it's, it's more of his personality and demeanor. Um, we've talked about it before. Like he, he's not your typical five star in the sense of being showered with accolades all four years of high school, right? He was somebody that was kind of under the radar, three star, and had that late rising performance. So like his makeup is still from a level of putting in the work, and not to say that that doesn't, you know, lend well to like your personality or different things of that nature. But he, I would think, probably focused on 
what got them to this point, which is more of the work. And it's interesting because I think in football, we're a game that is, I mean, it only operates when you commoditize the talent. The one position that should stand out in a little bit a different way is the quarterback, right? We like, whether you like them or not, whether it's an Aaron Rodgers, a Lamar Jackson, a, a Patrick Mahomes, like there's a, there's a presence that comes with them. Right. And I think that's, there's a level of being an athlete that when you step on to being like the hunter versus the hunted, it's completely different. Everybody was like, Oh, we're doing the hunting and we're going after this thing. But it's another thing when you know, you're the guy and you kind of own that. And because like a lot of people don't like that, to be completely honest, they're not comfortable in it. It's not it's not it's not comfortable, to be completely honest, because for people to like you or always have something to say against you. And there's no way around it, regardless of how humble you come off, how much humility you show. Like if you play bad in that spot, you're going to be targeted. Right. And all you're going to do is just limit that level of fanfare that kind of Mike is saying, where it's like okay, like the aesthetic of his game, if you're a quarterback or like a football traditionalist and you can understand the traits that he brings to the game, you can appreciate Drew's uh, ability to be patient. You can appreciate his his big arm and all those different things. But from the casual fan, from the aesthetic of the game, what makes you excited when you come is when you see a quarterback running around and doing the different things that they do. I would use um, Trace McSorley as my a, a prime example of that because, I mean, Trace – just physically gifted. He doesn't have the gifts that um, Drew Aller has, but he was a fan favorite based on the aesthetic that he put on the game and like in the vibe in which he played, which was like a warrior type of mentality, tough, scrappy, and it kind of identified with the Penn State student section, the fans, just the nucleus in a whole. So like sometimes we see that. We saw it with even like a Hackenberg, right? Somebody that comes in that's highly touted that kind of carries it a little bit. And if there's anything wrong, it can go downhill pretty fast on how it's viewed and different things of that nature. So I really believe it comes down to like athletes and how they present themselves, what they're trying to stay away from and what they're willing to, I guess, put on their shoulders and walk out because those are when you get those special guys. And for any position in football specifically, it's that quarterback one that's very polarizing. So I think Drew, when it comes to that aspect, has been just very – you know, cool, calm, collective, and humble, which is all good when you're winning. It's just when there's any type of question marks, start certain things start to get questioned. It's not very exciting. And there's no, um, I guess, emotional debt to be paid to that player. And then when that happens, it's easy to go like, hey, well, there's a spark here with number nine. He reminds me of this. And then this the emotional aspect of fandom that comes into it, which is real because we're coming to watch an entertaining, entertaining game starts to lend to like a, like a bubber Bula. So like, that's why I can, I it makes sense to why the fans feel that way. But I think that's the dynamic in a, in a nutshell of what's happening at Penn state. Well, and Mike, he kind of hit the nail on the head. That is that no snaps against Michigan and Ohio state. And he, you know, to the point that Justin was just making per Bula gets in the game, the offense seems to operate better, but hardly threw the ball was hardly asked to throw the ball. So it does, Beg the question, does the coaching staff believe in his ability as a passer or do they trust his ability as a passer to really lead the offense outside of RPOs and design quarterback runs? Well, we're, we're going to find out a, a couple of things there. Justin, I want a transcript of what you just said. That was like Roger Angel or Red Smith, the aesthetics of quarterback play. I'm with you 100%. 
you know, whether it's an MROB or Trace hitting his home run or freaking Matt McGloin, you know, they all have a little chip. You know, Christian definitely did, especially early. Even later, you know, he had a chip. Um, they they all do. They all did. And the good ones, it does not seem. And that's, I think, why people have an affinity for Bo, because he kind of has that. But I got to tell you, if I'm Andy Coltonicki coming in, Aller's my guy. I may do a little trick stuff with Bo, but there's there's no comparison. I mean, I my biggest advice to Drew Drop a lot more F-bombs, man, especially in the huddle. I mean, I had an offensive lineman mid-season telling a story and goes, yeah, I heard him use the F-word finally. And it's like, really? Man, I dropped more in class than he does in the huddle. I mean, I think that's the attitude. That's what you're saying, Justin, right? 100%. Uh, I guess it's like it's what you it's what you portray, right? I mean, perception is reality to a, a lot of fans. And like that's your only connection to it, like you said. Uh Trace had his home run hitting thing, but he was the most humble, humility, like humility driven type of guy. But like you saw, you, you identified with that Penn State fan base. And there's a level, or maybe there's a disconnect where you, there was like an expectation is like the five star quarterback or this big time prospect that's coming in. And sometimes it was like, okay, is he, is he shy? Is he like laid back and really identifying with that leader of the team? I think when we've had success or any teams, I mean, just across the country, just it, it happens in sports. The reason why Lamar Jackson works in Baltimore is because he embodies what the city is about through and through, right? And then the organization backs it and puts everything around it. So when you get into like the dynamics and the personality alignment between team and fans, I think that gets kind of gets kind of tricky because sometimes people are chasing ghosts because they think they're one thing and they're actually not. So it's like really being honest about who you are as a whole program, right? And then continue to roll that thing out that way. Well, I think when when you and Derek came in, you guys had some attitude. You guys were, you know, and you on both sides of the ball, you guys and Derek returning returning punts, you guys brought some swagger. And I, 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 I don't know whether Joe encouraged that from you too, but it impacted the fans and it seems like it, 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 it impacted the team, even when you were freshmen. You tell me. No, I think you're 100% right. And I, me and Derek, as five stars coming in, we both came with a chip on our shoulder, just naturally competitive people. And with that being said, like the team, then when we got there, they were a pissed off group in general, right? Like you talk about Mike Robb, Paul Puzlesny, Dan Connor, uh, Alan Zemitis, Calvin Lowry. You can go through the, the list um, of Tim Shaw, like a list of the Tom Bahali, the guys that were on the team, like they were on a mission. And so when we came in, there wasn't a level, there was, they weren't trying to dim our lights. Like they were trying to make sure that our light shined. So like even from the day that we stepped on campus, there was like almost like a preparation to bring us into the fold and use that lighter fluid to inject everything that's going on. So again, there was total team alignment, even down to where Joe Paterno let us speak to the media on how you would recruit from a residual standpoint. It was like, yeah, we can't have these five-star guys that are actually making plays, not get in front of the media, not tell their story, not sell Penn State at this moment. And if anybody knew us, like there were some people on the team that didn't like how we moved because we didn't really beg pardons, like, excuse me, this, no, it was like, no, we're here to do this and this is how we're going to do it from day one. And so again, but we knew we were being hunted to an extent, even within our team, we knew like we like players that, that we were up against that were junior and seniors, like that first depth chart, like we didn't have to work 
into the rotation. Like that first depth chart that went in and going into the spring, it was like, nope, Justin's here, Derek's here, and then everybody else got to deal with it. And like that's that's a little different. But we were also that was our makeup. That was the team and the program at the time. And I did come down from Joe Paterno, Tom Bradley, Coach Larry Johnson, and all those guys. Well, that was, uh, I'm going to interject. Sorry, Tom. But that was the 2023 Penn State defense. There, That's exactly what you described. And they were an NFL defense in that sense. They were on a mission. They were men. They played with attitude. It was really a dichotomy between the offense and defense that well because there were so many guys in the defense who are what you exactly described there justin i think that points to when we me and tom have said previously on the show is with the different the turnover difference on the offense and defensive side because players are a product of their coaches right whether there's a new running back i'm not running back coach but new receiver coaches um we see mike yersich had to let like, go in the middle of the season whether just a little bit of inconsistency on the offensive whether it's coaches getting fired or moving on to a better jobs there hasn't been that consistent voice across the board on the offensive side of the ball versus the defense last year manny diaz was the only new person on the defense everybody else has been there so even like that mesh that you see like that stuff comes down from coaches because that's why i say like coaching matters in football more than any other sport because there's a mentality injection that needs to happen constantly and it has to be real it can't be we're this tough physical team this that a third and you get a whole bunch of soft guys like that just can't happen like tough people attract tough people and i think that's what you see in different areas and you just want to have alignment through the whole organization from head coach all the way down to the players and the general the general players that are on the on the team Mike, I mentioned your article earlier on. You have identified culture drivers for the team in 2024, not to give anything away, but Hakeem Beeman, Devon Elise, Smith Vilbert, and Sal Wormley. Why do you think those four will be culture drivers for Penn State this season? Well, they're all entering their sixth year at Penn State. <laughs> um, when you add up Colton Nicky, uh, uh, Lustig and Tom Allen tomorrow combined, they will be at Penn State 100 days. So those guys, those four that I mentioned, they've been at Penn State for almost a quarter of a century. And then you throw in, uh, you throw in Devon as the driver for defense, I think. And even though he's never started a game, I think Nick Dawkins is kind of the same guy on the offense. And if I had to pick two people, those two guys, and maybe a Tyler Warren, you know, those are the ones that's going to be very interesting for this team this year is whose team is it? And I think that will make the difference between, you know, a loss or two or, or maybe more that personality and the consistency. And I love the word you use there, Justin, you said authenticity a couple times. Um, this team, they have to figure out, who they are, but especially Devon and and Nick coming back, that's that's really big for the team culture. You mentioned Smith Vilbert, and I think that's an interesting one because it's been such a roller coaster ride for him, Mike, at Penn State. And you mentioned in your article his 
wonderful performance in the Outback Bowl a few years ago against Arkansas, three sacks. Everybody was like, whoa, this guy's going to be huge. Missed this entire season. And it's been one of several guys along this defensive line that it's like, man, he has potential, but we just haven't seen it yet. And Sal Wormley made a lot of sense to me as one of the few tenured guys on that offensive line going into the next season, considering the losses of Fashionu, Norzad, and Wallace. But focusing on, on, on Smith Vilbert, why did you think he was going to be a key this upcoming season? Well, maybe not in the way that, that Devon will. But six years is a long time. He's been up and down. He's disappeared. He's had flashes. How does he handle all of this? How much does he take guys under his wing? You know, I think this is going to be a real players team. Um, and, and so the guys who have been there the longest, I think KLS is going to be, you know, he's going to be so key to this team, not just on the field, but off the field. And I shouldn't say this, but I am the first practice in August was open to the media. And I didn't write this, but since this is broadcast, I'll say it is he was in a fight with a freshman during the first drills. That's not a good culture driver. I don't think. And so I think KLS, not only how he performs off the field, but if he steps up and he's a smart kid, he's super sharp, you know, how much is he going to be a leader? So I, the, I'm not talking X and O's at this time of the year. It's going to be interesting. And, and back to you, Justin, there's over 200 days before the season opener. What happens every single day with these guys? I mean, I think you could bring up a great point. Even goes back to the authenticity, right? Because in some areas and some programs, a fight in that first hour or day one is actually a great cultural, dra cult cultural okay. driver, right? about i mean bill belichick talks about rodney harrison how when he came on as a free agent he was fighting everybody and he loved it and that was his, that was his top player and it made it took the team above and beyond to where like they went on their second you know super bowl runs as but that was the culture in which was being driven overall so it it, it just depends it could be because it could be a negative right like it, it can be negative if that's not housed or if that's coming from a insecure space or just like a fake toughness type of spot like yeah that could be detrimental like if you're not viewed as a tough guy you're coming out fighting that's not good for anyone but like there's guys that i played with like dan Conner when he first tackled he's getting up and he's putting his hand in your face mask as he gets up like i was like oh he's nasty like so like i experienced so like so we like when i came into like penn state those dudes were nasty like if we had an s if you stepped on the s like you probably would get beat up and there was a respect for being there about that. And like, we carried it when we played places. So when we played Florida State in Miami, there was not a question of us being tough enough. Like there wasn't even a, a thought. And this is a team with five, six first round draft picks, right? And so it goes back to the authenticity of what are you as a culture and as a team? Well, you sold me. So <laughs> maybe if I'm saying that defense is NFL tough and SOBs, Maybe there needed, maybe it was good KLS was an SOB and there had to be more of those. State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out their Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise today. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. 
Mike, does quarterback Drew Aller need to be one of those culture drivers? Because he was not on that list of four. No, he was not. And he needs to be. He needs to be. Um, I'm sold on he has the skills. He's good. We've seen a lot. He he needs some confidence. He needs Colton Nicky and, and Danny O'Brien massaging him. And but also someone who's going to be able to use his best skills. And I think his track record, Colton, Colton Nicky can do that. Um, but again, that those are the mechanics. I think we're talking about, and I wasn't sure this is your intent, but we're talking more about the personality and the personality traits and the characteristics. And I think that's more of my questions with Drew Allar vis-a-vis his ability to execute whatever playbook um, Andy Koltanicki uh, creates. I do think that Allar's the guy, you know, Bo's a nice to have, but they're going to ride and die with Allar. Justin, what are you hearing? Because it's not just Drew and Bo, it's this Ethan Grunkemeyer kid that's coming in too that definitely has some people talking. Well, he definitely has some traits that you would like, like you like in a quarterback, right? He's a little bit more mobile than Drew. He's a little bit better passer than Bo. He kind of comes from the same uh, QBX quarterback, um, Brad, that trained Drew um, coming out of high school. And so I think people are excited about him, right? And like anytime that you have a, a top-tier quarterback that can do a lot of different things and has the tools that you're looking for to operate an offense, I think any team is excited about that, especially in the today's age where, you know, I'm a, if I'm a quarterback, you want to test the market and try to get a couple of dollars out there because it's that valuable to have a top-tier quarterback. You've seen Oregon bring in two of them in the offseason, regardless of the case, and they paid both of them, right? And so, I mean, you can never have too many quarterbacks, and I think that we're looking forward to Ethan coming onto the squad. Mike, Penn State a little bit more active in the transfer portal this year than the year prior. James Franklin spoke at length last summer about the need for NIL investment. There's a board of trustees vote coming up that could be pivotal in regards to how the athletic department views NIL, the appropriate spending, things that go into that. But looking at the way this team has been more active this year in the portal, getting guys like Julian Fleming at wide receiver, the defensive backs, A.J. Harris and Jalen Kimber, getting Nolan Rucci, guys who have long-term ties, I guess, to this staff in terms of they were recruited once upon a time. Do you feel good about the transfers that have come in? And are you seeing progress in the way James Franklin and company are approaching the portal in NIL? Yeah, I give him an A. I mean, he has Andy Frank, Kenny, Kenny Sanders, man, that's a one, that's a one-two punch there. I mean, every addition makes Penn State better. And I, I, I also like the attitude. I'd be again. I'm deferring a lot to you, Justin. How you feel when a guy like Fleming comes in, who I'm a fan of, where you get you know two DBs from SEC, one who is a full time starter. Um, it's like we're taking this seriously. It's like we look at our deficits, and, and and you know, and Sanders a Pennsylvania kid, and he's a great kid, but it's like we don't know if you're the kicker. We're we're going we're gonna to go get Meyer. I mean, I, uh, from a pure personnel standpoint, and Justin, you were talking about this with Michigan, about personnel. You know, the approach from Penn State was really good. wonder if they had gotten four or five more like that. Not like, not like Lane Kiffin, where you're, you're bringing in everybody but the kitchen sink. But 
I think those six are very laser focused, good additions. I would agree in the sense of how Penn State has approached, I mean, the transfer portal NIL era and, and being close to the staff is a, is a prerequisite, I think, for Penn State in general, because I think it's one of the schools where you have to want to be there, right? Like, I don't think they're giving out the type of money that Ole Miss is or even Ohio State, because I was I like the pickups from the standpoint of the the authentic fit for those guys that play at Penn State. I mean, even like the like the DB or both DBs, like they were recruited from Penn State coming out of high school. We think about Julian Fleming. He was one of the top guys on our board. Nolan Rucci, both parents went to Penn State. I remember I've known him since he was in seventh and eighth grade coming up with his older brother. So even when I worked there, like these are all guys that are kind of coming back into the fold. And there's a there's a there's twofold to that, right? There's a level of comfortability and trust of the athletes that you're bringing in from an organizational control. But then the other side was like, okay, let's make sure these are the best players that fill this void. I mean, because even when we think about just some of the things from the receiver standpoint, we were lacking a big play receiver, um, guys that I like to say one-touch guys, you know, right? Like you know, the Jahan Dots and the KJ Hamlers that really just make it easier for like a Drew Aller to operate when you can get those type of explosive plays. And for me, Julian wasn't necessarily that. Is he a good football player? We'll see. Possibly, right? Like, I mean, depending on what metrics you use, like he has the ability. Maybe sometimes you just need a fresh start. But it's a it's it's a good fit for like, hey, this might be an opportunity for him to like let his hair down a little bit and get a chance to play. He's closer to home, all those different things that come along with the the situation. But is he like some of the acquisitions that Ohio State taking where you've got guys that are a thousand plus yard producers in the SEC and they're coming up to just kind of plug and play type of situation. We don't know yet. I mean, I think we had a, a, a failed experiment last year with Dante Cephas coming in from as a high producing lower level receiver that came up, but wasn't able to like bring it together. So sometimes it's, it's, it's twofold to lean on the, the trust factor or the familiarity piece, but I think when you can mold those and you can understand what you're going to get that arc of development out of the talent, I think is a, is a good situation. So I'm, I'm extremely happy about, I mean, a lot of the pickups to be completely honest, but it's, it's identical to how they go about it. I mean, we look at it in the NFL cause it's, that's how I kind of look at all these different things. I mean, back in the day, the Redskins used to pick up a lot of guys in free agency, spend a whole bunch of money and they weren't very successful. Then you had teams like the Ravens or the Steelers and the Packers that would, go based on their core culture, their their identity that they're trying to build around. And that's what you need. You need 110 guys that believe in the same vision, same mentality to operate in football. Michigan is a prime example of that. Like They haven't been on a, a spending spree. They got quote unquote Michigan guys. They had Blake, the running back, being the spokesperson for like, hey, if you're coming here, don't be look, don't look for money because this is how we're going to do it. And they went 15 and 0. Right. Like they spent money on retaining offensive linemen or getting offensive linemen because that fit within the culture of what they were building. So there's different ways to do it. I just think you have to be true to who the head coach is. And from the pro programmatic standpoint, that you're filling in those holes in a, a very aligned way. Yeah, you got to you have to have fit on and off the fields. And you're right about about Fleming. I mean. Look at look at Chris Godwin. Look at Allen Robinson. He's not them. 26 catches last year, 10.4 yards, and I get it. I mean, you know, you're you're in an offense with Harrison, so you are going to be second or third or fourth fiddle. So in that sense, no, 
And with apologies to Corey Geiger, you know, they didn't get a guy that Drew can use that prodigious arm of his to just go out and chuck it and let someone run under it. I think, you know, that is that is a miss as much as Fleming will help in a lot of ways. Um, I think Evans is really the only guy on the roster who's capable of that, right? So far. I mean, you say KLS as well. He He has the ability to do it. He's smooth, man, but I don't yeah. think he's a deep. Uh, I think he's a hidden gem. We've talked about Omari, Justin, recently, and that it was like he had the flash against Michigan State. That was about it. He pops up in the blue-white game, Michigan State game, and he came in the same time as Drew Hour, and it just seemed like those two might be connected at the hip, and it's just not materialized. And now he even gets knocked further down the depth chart, Justin. It's like, okay, you got to break out, but you got to do it. Former quarterback. I mean, he needs reps, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. We were we were talking about some of the money that's being thrown around right now, and I think it does uh, beg bringing up what Ohio State has been doing. Ohio State has gone out and gotten in this cycle: Jeremiah Smith, number one recruit, and in 2024, number one wide receiver. Julian Sayan, they got from Alabama in the transfer portal, number three quarterback in 24, number one quarterback in the portal. Caleb Downs, which was a gigantic flip that was maybe about to go to Georgia, uh, number one overall player in the portal, number one safety as well. Quinshawn Judkins, the running back Penn State just got done seeing in the Peach Bowl from Old Miss, uh, number one running back in the portal. And they got Will Howard, number eight quarterback in the portal from Kansas State that a lot of people thought might go to USC. That is a crazy haul in a very short amount of time for a team that was already pretty damn good. Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, how how big is the gap now <laughs> between an Ohio State and everybody else in the Big Ten? Well, I don't want to say everybody else. Uh, I, I think Washington's a little off the table with DeBoer leaving. That's, that's a wild card, and that's good for Penn State, especially playing them this year. I think that flips the table in some ways. Um, but, yeah, it's Ohio State and then Oregon and Michigan and the gap that was a gap. The gap did, did get bigger and, and, and we'll find out how much bigger, especially when you have the back-to-back weekends of Washington and Ohio state later, later this year. Yeah. Ohio state, they're playing big boy football. They're, they're all in. I mean, when you you get OB as your OC, you know, they're going to be a bunch of fighters. (laughs) <laughs> that's a, the perfect way to put it uh justin yeah that was the other thing that almost forgot to mention that bill o'brien is now the offensive coordinator at ohio state i mean uh we like to talk about like the level of support from a program and it, it can't be understated and it's not always just a matter of ticket sales and people showing up to games it's like full involvement whether it's alumni like you see cj Stroud giving 50 to a hundred thousand dollars to the team like we don't see too many active players giving their salary because a lot of times they leave and they feel like they've been exploited like there's a very common thing that whether there's my friends that played at ohio state how they operate working outside of the business since then it's one of the few places where everyone's aligned the school board the high schools are aligned the the old players the alumni the people that run the companies the the actual school and administration is aligned where they're all understanding like yo this is all about ohio state football and you see it in the actions when the first nil thing started happening like those guys were driving mercedes-benz like it was nothing there was no there was one 
a cat call to we need X amount of dollars and they're saying that they spent about $13 million. I've dealt with high school kids and and come uh, high school prospects that are, you know, dealing with different collectives. And I know when we say things to Ohio State and a number, there isn't any back and forth. It's like, all right, that's cool. Like there is there isn't like a, oh, we don't need to do this. What's that? It's like, no, he's good. No, that that position, this, all right, that's that's done. And like you don't get that from a lot of schools. So like the level of support isn't just equal from a fanfare. It's like they put their money where their mouth is across the board, whether it's people that bought season tickets, people that go to every single game, regardless, they just care a little bit different about the football. There isn't a balancing act of like, hey, we're trying to develop this type of person or we're trying to win like this. It's like, no, we need to win and this is what we need to do to win. And everybody has that mentality within Ohio, the state of Ohio. When you start to get alignment like that in areas, whether it's like a Baton Rouge or LSU or back in the day when Miami was operating, like football is a community assisted sport where you need everybody, all hands on deck, not questioning what's going on. Where's this money going? Where's that? If that's what it's going to be, or you fit within that system, right? I use, I keep using Michigan because they did the same thing. They didn't start raising money until they won. And then with that, it was to retain their Michigan men type of players so that they wouldn't go to the NFL. And so like with that is again, identifying what that with the university support is, what is the program made of and having that aligned so people can support and come to the table and help those different aspects, especially when it comes to talent acquisition. Because um, they're just not okay not having the best players for them. And they have the money from what I've seen and from on the other ends of the phone calls where it's, there isn't really back and forth. It's just like, oh, perfect. You can have that. <laughs> well, you know, you said a couple of things that are really worth spotlighting, Justin. Um, you know, you said earlier about the offensive linemen. Michigan brought in two vets who were captains at their other schools, captains at their other schools for the O-line. And no offense to Nolan Rucci, he could be great, but he played under 100 snaps last year. You know, it's it, and he's a nice piece and he has a Penn State ties and his, you know, his dad was great. And and his mom, you know, was an athlete at Penn State. He's a good pickup. But he wasn't the team captain at Wisconsin. I think that's the kind of thing that you're really facing now. And, and, and your background sh shows, Justin, it really is the talent acquisition every step of the way. Um, and, and that's going to be key until we see some collective bargaining, revenue sharing, something like that, that's going to make the table a little more even for everyone but that'll still be a little while. And you're right. Cause like talent acquisition isn't a one size fits all, right? There's multiple, there's different ways to skin a cat. And it's, I mean, you look at Alabama's talent acquisition process, they take some players, but they're like, their process was hard, went hard when uh, Nick Saban was there. Like they were kind of in this era where we talk about committable offers and non-committable offers. Like they were one of the first schools where they would offer all the best players. They didn't care what it was. They want, we want the best players to be available to us. They just also had the second end of like, but we will also drop you the day before signing day if you're not good enough. And like players needed to know that. And we will not take you if you don't come to camp and compete in front of Nick Saban. 
Like, so there's different aspects to where they had different demands. When Urban Meyer was in it, the same way. They were looking to exclude people to be a part of their program, not invite them in. And like to walk that line of that, I mean, that takes a lot of courage and you have to have a lot of cachet around to be able to do that because you can ruffle feathers that way, right? And that's not always been the case because I always try to give fans or my friends that I've ar I argue with sometimes in a group message. Like when I got to Penn State, it was a little bit of a disarray. Let's like thank God for Saquon Barkley for covering up a lot of holes. I mean, I say a lot of holes, a lot of holes because coming out of the sanctions, you don't really understand the depth of talent acquisition and where it wasn't when they started. They were able to win a lot of games because they had generational players that were tough and filling in key spots. But man, coming out of sanctions, Penn State was in a in a, in a tough spot. Like there were some players, there was a I would say about 40 players on that team that shouldn't have been at Penn State, period. And like even when we think about like the the sanctions and guys that even at the play, not the not a knock against them, but that wasn't the level of player that I played with. So like when I came back to Penn State, I had to like kind of remind people. I listed off the players that when I walked into the locker room, who were there. So like my standard was like, no, we had NFL players everywhere, and they weren't choir boys. That was another. We just had clean shaved faces and well, no long hair, but weren't weren't choir boys at all. So sometimes just the identity of what we portrayed and who you are as an organization is just making sure that it aligns and that you build the right way because when those chips fall. They fall. Yeah, well, M. Rob broke that broke that trophy case. So as much as I'm a fan <laughs> of Michael, and he's a choir boy these days, right? Oh, bring it up the old, the good stuff. Between that guy and the trophy case, Michael's undefeated. <laughs> People don't know about that. That was a little scuffle back in the day, but yeah. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it again. Check out Mike's work at statecollege.com. He is consistently putting out spectacular work for decades on end now. His All-22 coverage during the 2023 season is invaluable. If you're a true Penn State football fan, you want to learn something each week. Mike, thank you very, very much for joining us. I'm honored to be on, man. You guys you guys are a must-listen. Um, not only what you say, but... I said this before on air, man. You guys got great hair games. <laughs> Justin's got way better hair than I do. He's got a lot more to manage, so that's tough, man. I appreciate it. It's pretty simple, but we got it. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thanks. Keep up. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, let us know what you think of the show on social media and check out all of our content on X, Instagram, and TikTok. Search for the handle at State of State Pod. State of State is presented by Bet Online and by Blue White Outfitters. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.